I am, uh, I'm excited to share with you uh, this morning a message called The Missed Message. If you all could see my phone right now, let's see. You got the little notifications that tell you how many unread messages you have? Y'all want to know really what mine says? 264. Did y'all say that? What in the world? I promise that's not people I've not responded to. It's the end of a conversation, right? It pops up and you read it, you just don't hit it. And they give you the little, uh, you know, if you verify something now or have an account, you get a little text and all these companies text you once they get your cell phone number. But the missed message is what we're going to talk about this morning. I had to Google to find one that only had one. I thought, I'll start reading a bunch of these and try to get mine down to one, screenshot my phone. I was like, I don't have time for that. So I just Googled it and found one. Um, and, and so this morning, we're going to talk about the missed message. Several years ago, we were in, uh, our family was in Washington, D.C., and we got to see, uh, we went to several of the Smithsonian museums, and this right here, anybody know what that is? Can anybody guess what that is? That's an airplane. What kind? Anybody know what kind? Which one? What was that? The first airplane. Yeah, that was the Wright brothers' first first airplane and that's Rosie standing there in front of it looking at it and then uh, that's our daughter she's 11 now um, that's her playing looking at a little model of it to talk about how it worked and how they used uh, uh, just really sheer grit to figure out how to build the thing and make it fly well, it was in December of like 1903 and, and they were so excited if they took flight for the first time they sent a telegraph to their sister back in Ohio and it simply said, we have actually flown 120 feet. And it said, we'll be home for Christmas. And the sister got so excited, Catherine, and she, uh, she hurried and took it to the editor of the local newspaper. And he looked at the, the telegraph and he went, oh, that's great, they'll be home for Christmas. And totally missed the first part of the message that man had for the first time flown. We're going to look at a group of people this morning in Romans chapter 10. This is my question is, will we miss Jesus because we're too busy concentrating on far less important things? I'm going to ask you this question, really, are you missing Jesus right now in this moment are we looking in all kinds of different places and we're getting all kinds of messages and seeing lots of things and we've missed the most important one and that's who Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 10 we shared the message last week called salvation equation it was really simple right it was believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and profess with your mouth right that he was resurrected and it was that simple of how to get saved. You believe in Jesus Christ. You profess it with your mouth. Uh, repentance is a part of that believing. You, you change your ways. You turn from sin and turn toward Jesus and commit all to follow him. And that's what he was saying because he's talking about the nation of Israel here, right? In chapter 9 and 10. He's saying, well, if God is sovereign, he chose, he chose Israel. How did they reject him? And how are they not saved? And so he gave the clear direction in the first part of chapter 10 of how they could get saved individually, each and every one of them. And then in verse 14, he turns to really refute some 
uh, imaginary objections. You know, Paul was a great speaker, a great writer. He was just guessing, what would somebody confront me with this, and how would they defend Israel? And so there was really three defenses or objections he addresses here in chapter 10, and we're going to look at those uh, first. And, and the first one was really, Israel lacked a messenger. It's like, well, but nobody came and told Israel that they needed Jesus, that they should believe in Jesus. So this is what Paul says in Romans 10 14. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? I almost came barefooted today to let you all see. But I said I wore boots. This is the first time I ever preached in boots. I kind of feel like I'm ready. But this word preaching, sometimes we think about that as a preacher. And it was really a more broad term, Greek term there. It was really for every believer has the capacity to share the good news with their friends, neighbors, family. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Verse 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Y'all know that verse, right? Your faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we have here this context of they, they did not lack a messenger. Paul makes it clear it has been communicated from the old. They've just totally missed uh, the message. And we see three things here about faith that I want to just spend a second on. One, it says, Lord, who has believed our message, is what Isaiah said. Faith requires three things. It requires one, hearing. You've got to hear about Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, two, it takes this kind of a mental assent that you agree. When I tell you Jesus was born of a virgin birth, that he was crucified, uh, and, and he lived a perfect life. He, was, he fulfilled every component of the moral law. He lived it perfectly, but he was crucified in our place. And then you've got to believe that on the third day he was resurrected. All right, you've got to take mental agreement. So you've got to hear it, and then you've got to agree with it. But that's not far enough. You, you can agree in your head, but God says we've got to have the type of belief that changes our heart and behavior. It's the next level of commitment. I could agree with that. I mean, I agree Big Macs are bad for me. Okay, maybe I shouldn't use that because I don't eat a lot of Big Macs, but I used to. I agree that candy is bad for me. But it doesn't mean I change my behavior about it. Okay, I've just mentally checked a box. I know it's bad. Give me some. All right. And so you got to do the same thing with Jesus. You can hear it, and you can say, oh, yeah, he resurrected. That's cool, but I'm going to go do whatever I'm going to do this week, but I'll be back next Sunday for church. Or you can say, wait, he, he did that. That is real. I want you to imagine if you were there and you saw him resurrected. And if you would have been one of the few that got to see him in his resurrected state, 
that if you can imagine in that moment that this is God in the flesh, he has proved his love for you, then you would not just say, oh, I know that, and I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. You would say, I give you. You'd be like Peter and just say, take the boat, take, take, take this great catch I've made. I don't care. I am following you. So it takes hearing and it takes agreement. There's no such thing as truly believing and then not being obedient or not following him or, or, uh, or, or, or uh, believing he's forgiven your sins and then continuing to live in them. Like this is, this is, if you believe it, it changes your behavior and it changes your heart. The second objection we see is that they lacked to hear the me- they lacked the opportunity to hear the message. There was no messenger. Paul said, "Yes, there were messengers." And so then this hypothetical question, but asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Paul says, "The voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world." Paul says, "Israel has heard the message. They've had the opportunity." To hear the message. He then says, again, I asked, did Israel not understand? So did they, did they have no messenger? Did they like getting a chance to hear it? Or maybe it was the fact that they just didn't understand what they heard. And he said, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by these who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly said this, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed to those who did not ask for me. Well, these are strong words to Israel. These are strong words to say you you have no real objection or excuse for missing this message. I've sent messenger after messenger. You've heard it over and over. You had the opportunity to understand it. You know what? There's Gentiles. I have now gone to a nation who is not even seeking after me. You were out here thinking you loved God and being all good and perfect and rituals and rules and doing everything perfect. And you know what? You totally missed the message. And now I've given it to people who had never even heard any of that and are sinful. They, they are detestable. You can't stand them, and they are my children. Oh, he said it's going to make them envious. And boy, did it ever. When Israel, who felt like the chosen one, started to see the Gentiles, the people they thought were, were unworthy, be a part of God's true church. And when Paul is writing here and saying they are the true children of Abraham. Oh, my gosh, this was blowing their mind. So he, he refutes those things. I'm going to wait a minute before we go to the last verse. Um, because I want to go to Luke chapter 19 and say, well, how does this fit into Palm Sunday? What is Palm Sunday? So let's go to Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bible, if you've got an app, whatever, you've got your laptop. Anybody bring their laptop to read the Bible on? That'd be a first. But Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read some verses for you. I've got one verse on the screen, but I'm going to start reading in Luke 19, chapter 20, or chapter 19, verse 28. 
After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany on the, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Wouldn't you love to be a part of this moment in time and what Jesus was doing here? It's like, go steal me a donkey. I mean, just go do it and tell them if they ask anything, the Lord needs it. And so he sends them on to steal this donkey. And it says in verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Not only were they laying their cloaks down, if you read another gospel, people were laying palm leaves down for the colt to walk on as Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem. I want to look at two groups here that missed the message, all right? These disciples, honestly, uh, some of them got it, most of them not. But this cheering, this rallying that was going on, you have to understand that this was more than likely their excitement because they thought Jesus was finally going to take over as a political king. As he was coming in Jerusalem, it was like, Ooh, watch out, Rome. Here comes Jesus. We're so excited. He's finally done. He's done all these miracles. He's going to be this powerful political king. Maybe they went, he's on a cult. Right? Why is this powerful new leader coming in on a colt he stole from a guy? Right? He should be riding the biggest horse with the greatest people following him and chariots. And, and yet, here comes Jesus on a colt that's never even been ridden. And these same people that were shouting, shouting, yeah, Hosanna to the highest king. He's our king. He's our king. When it came down to the wire when he was standing, and they were having to choose between him and a murderer, Barabbas. Where were they? They were shouting, free Barabbas. This is not the Jesus I thought it was going to be. I thought he was going to be a king. Not crucified, this humiliating way. And they totally missed the message, even though Jesus said over and over, it's not that type of kingdom. It's just, it, I'm, I'm here to fulfill the kingdom of God, and it's not that type of kingdom. He's told them over and over, but they just had missed the message. And then we find uh, another group in verse 39. It says some of the Pharisees, remember those were like the religious of the most religious. They had the nicest things. They, they lived in uh, you know, a lush lifestyle. They pretended to be perfect, and they enforced rules and looked down on people and judged people, and that was, the, that was the Pharisees. And the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were saying, Jesus, tell these people to be quiet. Probably afraid Rome was going to hear it and get attention and come quiet it all down, and they didn't want Rome in their business. And Jesus said, I tell you, 
if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Is that not powerful? That he looked at them and he said, if they keep quiet, if these disciples do not praise and worship, even though he was seeing they were missing the message a little bit, he knew they were going to get it eventually. He was going to prove it through his resurrection. And then we would choose to have faith and believe it or not. He said, if they don't cry out, the stones will. This is how big of a moment in the history of my, mankind this was, that God's very creation recognized it and would have cried out if someone, his disciples, would not have. And then I want you to think about this verse, verse 41, as we looked at, Romans chapter 10, we see what, what Paul is writing here. And he's, he, he, he is, he, and several weeks ago we talked about uh, wrecked, how Paul was wrecked for the nation of Israel. God had just messed his heart up. He cared so much. At the end of chapter 10, I mean, it's, when we read verse 21 here in a minute, you're going to be like, if, that, if Romans stopped there, then Israel is in, is in a hopeless state, okay? That's not where you want to end this message But Paul was wrecked for the nation of Israel because they had missed the message. And so we see this real-world example of Jesus when he was coming into Jerusalem. It says, and as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, here is God himself in the flesh. He was looking over the city who had totally missed the message of who he was and the hope that they had could have had in him had they just trusted and believed. And what does it say Jesus did? He was so broken, he wept over it. I tried to find a good picture of Jerusalem. I tried to imagine Jesus on the hill there at the Mount of Olives, knowing who he was, knowing what God had in store for him. And to be able to look on that and see in every home, and every family, and every synagogue, and to be at one present moment, know the ones who thought they were righteous because they, had, they, they were in church and they were trying to keep rules, to see the one that was on the street that was a prostitute that thought they had no hope because they were so far gone, and that he just wept for the people of that city. Simply because they had missed the message. And I think about our own hearts and our own town. And how easy it is to get comfortable in our own place, in our own ways, in our own church, in our own lives and that we just pass people by on the streets and we pass neighbors by and we, we, we give up on brokenness in the community and we, we just when was the last time you stopped on the hill and wept for the people who have missed the message? Been broken hearted like Jesus was. See, the Pharisees were trying to quiet down the disciples because it didn't match their script. It wasn't within their tradition. It, it wasn't how you have church. It didn't conform with their reality. 
And they were so rigid. They were trying to push rituals, laws, and traditions down people's throat. And they were so consumed with their own self-righteousness. They were so consumed with their own self-righteousness that they missed God. That is the question I want to ask this morning. Are we missing Jesus in the pursuit of our own righteousness? Are we trying to do good enough, be enough, or are we really, have we really just put it off? And admitted, God, I've, I've turned from my ways and I want to be better, but I'll never be good enough. I am not good enough. I trust you. My hope is in you. I'm following you. I'm turning away. Any good that happens in my life is because of you. See, here's the thing, though, what, how he ends this in verse 21, and this is, this is what like, oh, God, it scared me a little bit. Because this missed message isn't just like, oh, I scrolled past it and I accidentally missed it. Because eventually, at some point in time, the missed message, the, the refusal of us to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is seen as complete rejection and rebellion against our Maker. And we answer for it. Someday we answer. Did we put our faith in Jesus? Or did we not? You see, because but concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands. In invitation... To you, each and every person here in this, in this place, online, all day long, I've held out my hands. God is saying, I'm inviting you to put your faith in me, to believe in me, uh, offering forgiveness, peace, reconciliation, begging for people to turn to him, begging for you to turn to him. We see that invitation. We see his patience all day long, like waiting to the very last moment. Like how many, how long can I, can God go and persevere in this mercy and grace that He's offering? But it says to a disobedient and obstinate people. That's pretty tough. That basically means just complete refusal. To accept him for who he was. If we know Romans well, and if you've been with us at any time, you remember in Romans 1, Paul laid out that the entire world is sinful. He talked about the Gentiles. He talked about people that were not Israelites, that had never had the message of God, that they were just living in complete sin, doing whatever they wanted. And he said that uh, the, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on that. And do you all remember Romans chapter 2? How it started? Remember, because in Romans chapter 2, he was saying, yeah, all those sinners, they're going to go to hell, basically, is what he's saying. They've got it all coming to them, 
and, 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 then, and, and he could probably sense a little bit of self-righteousness that probably played through from the church, from the Jewish tradition. And he says, in chapter 2 of Romans, he says, You, therefore, have no excuse. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. He's talking to the church. That if we're judging people, that's self-righteousness. If we're looking at people, we're making any kind of assessment other than saying they need Jesus and pointing them to Jesus. Like if we just start saying you need to quit sinning, you're doing bad things like that. That is not how you help people. That's not how you point people to Jesus. You point them to Jesus and say, I'm broken too. You're broken. Listen, I have hope for you in Jesus Christ, mercy and grace. You can't earn it. You can't try hard enough to get good enough to make God happy. All you have to do is believe in your heart. Profess with your mouth. The Holy Spirit's going to take over your body, and you will be a new creation. So it gives us two ways that we miss the message. One is we're just outright in sin, living. But he tells us a scary one, that we can get too religious. We can get too religious and feel safe and feel like we're earning our, sal our salvation. Watch this little video. You're watching America This Morning, America's number one early morning news. Get ready to feel a little guilty for laughing on this one. Here's our latest and greatest evidence that no one should attempt to walk and text at the same time. Now this girl right here, she's walking, she's texting, and goes whoop straight into the fountain. Oh. It all went down recently at a mall in Pennsylvania. The best part might just be her reaction. Just get up and walk away, <laughs> hope no one saw it. No worry, don't worry, no one did see it except thankfully for the surveillance camera. Oh, so there's an iPhone app that does boom. what you see in front of you through your camera as you text. So if you're really going to walk and text, try, try that app. We've all had some mishap happen while texting, haven't we? This is true. <laughs> yeah. I think about that, that video, and it could be any one of us, but I was thinking about what he said back in chapter 9. Well, he said, see, I lay in Zion and a stone that causes people to stumble. The, the very message, the very thing that God is trying to get to us, we are so distracted that we trip all over it. And we fall right into messes. And we fall right into our own efforts. And we, try, we fall into trying harder. And, and we fall into judgment and criticism. And, and we, we fall into things that don't bring us closer to God. So how do we focus? How do, how, how do we look at, at, at this as a hopeful situation? Because that sounds pretty bad. Verse 21 of chapter 10, all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. But then we get to chapter 11, and we'll be there after Easter, where Paul lays out this great hope for Israel, that if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they can be saved.
So this morning, how do we apply this? What do we do with it? We don't relish. Uh, when we got to realize that this missed message, we will make an account for it someday. Let's not relish in our sinful lifestyle. Let's not relish in our religion and our efforts toward good works and righteousness. Let's relish in Jesus Christ. You've heard the message. I've done my best to put within your hearing the truth of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. You get to just choose. Do I agree? Is what Jared said, is that true or is it not true? And then you get to choose, what am I going to do with it? Will I ignore it? Will I cast it off as like, yeah, that's a good little story? Or will I go all in? Will I submit my heart and all I am and all I have and all my hopes and all my dreams and give it to Jesus Christ? Maybe we should look at our lives and say, have we traded righteousness for self-righteousness? Are we missing Jesus like the religious leaders? Or are we just more concerned about where we sit in church and what color the carpet is and what song we sing than we are about the broken neighbor, the people who are wrestling with addiction, the families who have lost loved ones, the people who are broken? Are we, are we too content in our own goodness to even care? I mean, get outside yourself, look at yourself, and what would you think? Well, that's scary. I don't like doing that, but I do it. And I realize I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And I'll ask you this. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? You spend time praying, reading, studying listening to more and more songs and, and, and worshiping him through the week? Or is it just a Sunday thing? God, as we prepare our hearts in this moment, in this time, God, I just pray you would continue to break our hearts in a way that, God, we would weep. For the city, just like Jesus did for Jerusalem, for people who were just missing the message. God, that we would feel in our hearts the call that you called us. God, that we could be sent to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. God, that we would react in commitment and all in to you. God, that we would not be like the, the woman texting in the mall. And God, stumble over the truth of who you are. God, that we would not be so confident in our own self-righteousness. That we would not put our trust and faith in you and make sure others know our only hope is in you, Jesus Christ. God, we pray you break our hearts for this city and the people that live in it. God, you call hearts all across this room to spread the good news. And remind us as we sing this song. God, that Jesus, you paid it all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.